This week's parasha is Parashas Vayakel. The Torah tells us that Nesim heviu es avne hashoya mes avne hamiluim la eifod v'lacheshen. That the Nesim's contribution, the princes of the Shiftei Kot, their contribution to the Melechas Hamishkan consisted of, amongst other things, the avne shoyam and the avne miluim. The Avnei Shayam were the two stones that were found on the shoulders of the Kayin Gadol on the Ephod. And the Avnei Miluim were those 12 precious stones that were found in the Cheshen. Rashi says that that word in the Pasuk Vanesim is spelled deficiently. It's missing a Yud. So it's spelled Vav, He, Nun, Sin, Aleph, Mem. Why? Amr of Nasan, Ma Ra'u Nisim Lis Nade Bechanukas Hamizbeach Bitchila. We'll find in Parshas Nasai that there was something after the Mishkan was built, there was the Chanukas Hamizbeach, the inauguration of the Mizbeach there. The Nisim were the first to contribute. Why were they the first there to contribute? But the Mlechas Hamishkan, we find that they were the last to contribute. This is what the Nesim said. This was their Cheshpen. The Nesim made a very bold statement. A very generous statement. They said, let Klal Yisrael contribute to the Mishkan, whatever they want. Zav, Pesef, Nechayshes, Tcheles, Vargaman, let's make a huge collection from Klal Yisrael. They'll start, they'll get the ball rolling, and whatever is missing, whatever is not fulfilled, whatever requirements, whatever necessities the Mishkan still had after the contributions, we will step in at that point, says the Nesim, and we'll contribute, we'll make up the difference. What happened? Kivan Sheshlimut Sibor Es Hakal Shenemer Vamlocha Isadayim. It was an incredibly successful appeal that Meshe Rabbeinu made to Klal Yisrael. Not only did they give generously, but they gave more than enough. It was Daiva Heiser. There was more than enough. It was extra that was contributed. There was really nothing left at the end of the day for the Nesim to add. Amru Nesim, Ma'aleinu what should we do? We made the pledge to give whatever was missing, but at the end, there was nothing missing. So what they did was, Heviu es Avnei HaShoyam. They brought the Avnei Shoyam, the Avnei Milum, that was what was remaining apparently, for some reason that was not in the Cheshpun of the original um, collection. One thing that remained for them was the Avnei Shayim, the Avnei Miluim, and that's what they gave. They didn't want to make that same mistake again, so when it came to the Chanukah Samizbeach, the Nesim were the first ones, not the last ones, to contribute. And because they were a little bit slow, they were lazy if you will, to contribute 
quickly and with his reasons to begin with. That's why Nechzera Ois Mishmam, they took a Yod, the Torah took a Yod out of their name, Vahanisa'am Tziv, instead of Anasiyim. That's the Lashon of Rashi. And so what I want to talk about today is a little bit, what is this limit of Rashi? What's the message that we should be taking from this? L'chaira the Nesiyim did something very, very generous. It's very hard to fault what the Nesim did because look at it from their perspective. Imagine if there was a we were building together a yeshiva and we needed to raise ten million dollars in order to get the yeshiva up and running to build a beautiful edifice and to, and to get the yeshiva going. It's going to take ten million dollars, and I'm a very wealthy man. And I go and I say, listen, you collect whatever you collect. You tell the fundraisers and you tell all the balabatim, whatever you put together, that's wonderful. You get a million dollars together, you get two million dollars, four million dollars. Whatever the difference is between that number and ten million dollars, that's on me. I'm going to make up the difference. Now, I don't think anyone in the fundraising world would say, boy, that guy is lazy. That guy has a, we got a problem with him. Uh, that's the most generous offer that could be made. Sometimes people offer to match funds. Whatever you, whatever you manage to make for the yeshiva dinner, I'm going to match it. That's a very, uh, and then they go at the yeshiva dinner, sometimes they announce that whoever all, whatever you contribute tonight, we're going to somebody generous, anonymous, wants to match it. So whatever, if you give a dollar to Yeshiva, two dollars come to Yeshiva. And that inspires more giving. That's not lazy. Rashi says that's nisatzlu. They were lazy. That was a very, very generous offer that the Nisiyah made. It's very difficult, in my mind, to cast any negative aspersions on the Nesim. The Nesim were giving very generously. Potentially it could have been a very big financial strain on each and every one of them. They didn't know. They had no way of knowing how generous Klai Yisrael would be. They didn't know the extent of Klai Yisrael's generosity in their giving. That there was more than enough. They contributed. Meshach Rabbeinu had to make an announcement that Ish Isha. Al-Yasa, don't give any more for the Melechas HaMishkan, it's enough. They had no idea. Sometimes campaigns go very well, sometimes they flop. And if they would, if it would have flopped, then the Nassim would have been on the hook for millions and millions and trillions of dollars. Very expensive to build a Mishkan. But yet, the Torah seems to be saying that there was something amiss with the Cheshpan of the Nassim. Vanisim, we spell Vanisim Chaser to say you did a bad thing, and they had to do tshuva, and they did tshuva in the form that by the Chanukas and Mizbeach they were the first ones in. What exactly is the taina on the Nesim? What did they do wrong? If they would have ignored the appeal, that would be that would be very understandable. They weren't ignoring the appeal; they were saying we are going to make sure that that mission gets built. And let Paul Yisrael give, 
and we'll make up the difference. I don't see anything wrong with that personally. I would, if I was a fundraiser, I'd be very happy with such a with such a a pledge. So we have to understand what exactly was the chisarin that the Torah sees in the in this offer of the Nisim. And this is what I'd like to suggest. The word Nisim, which means princes, aristocrats, it has two connotations. The first connotation of Nisim means Nasi means to be uplifted, to be elevated. These are people that are the upper crust. They are the, the high level of society. They are, the, they are high on the totem pole. On the social pyramid, they would be on the top. They're in the Nisim. They are Minusa. They are uplifted. They are elevated. They were chosen. They were exalted by society. They were the leaders. Rav Hirsch says that the Russian of Nisim is connected to the word clouds. We find several places in, in Nach, for example, in Mishlei, Parakhafei Pasuk Yodalad, Nisim Veruach Vegeshem Ayin. Nisim could be used to refer to clouds. We know Ananim is clouds, but one of the other ways of saying the word clouds, there are several ways of saying clouds in Hebrew, one of them is Nisim. And Rav says that that's what a Nasi is, a Nasi is like a cloud. He's high and above, he's removed from the people, just like a cloud is so high it's untouchable, it just sort of drifts above all of us. That's how the Nisim were. And we could look at that as being elitist, but it's really not. The truth is that there, it's important in society to have Nisim. It's important to have people that are above the fray, that are removed from the Hamaynam, that are not mixing and blending together with the rank and file, that there are people that are a little bit above. Rav Hutner once wrote a letter to a shul who was celebrating the 10th anniversary of the appointment of their new rav. Ten years ago they appointed a rav, and this was his 10th anniversary dinner, and he was apparently a Talmud of Rav Hutner. So Rav Hutner was asked to come to the dinner, he wasn't able to, so instead of that he wrote a letter, maybe they read that letter at the dinner, I'm not sure. But the letter was addressed to the community that appointed this rav some 10 years ago, and Rav Hutner says a great vote. He says as follows, that, it's funny, there was a, a friend of mine was appointed a Rav um, recently, and uh, so I went to his Akhtara, to his inauguration, when you appoint a new Rav, they, they, they sort of give you a, a proverbial crown, a Akhtara, they anoint you as their rabbi, and he called me before before that function, before that event, and he was speaking to me about what he was going to speak about. So I told him this to Rav Hutner, and he, he was considering it, but in the end he didn't use it. 
And I was sitting next to him by that haftarah, and, and every speaker, there were three speakers that were speaking, introducing him and welcoming him and giving him covet. They all said the same Vart Murphotner. <laughs> and so I said, You're lucky you didn't listen to me. It would have been pretty embarrassing. That was your whole speech, and it was something that four other people, three other people had said. So it's a pretty well-known piece, apparently. I didn't know. But Rav says the following. He says that in most major cities or minor cities, there's something called a communal clock. Every city has like a Epson, maybe on the city hall there's a a clock where there's uh, maybe just um, a, a tower with a clock here we have in Queens on Main Street on, in, on that bank that old bank on, on Main Street Queens, uh, the Queens County Bank or whatever it's called, there's a nice big clock on top, every city has a major very high clock and he says, why does the city have to always put that clock so high why not put it at like lower so if one says the Balabatisha Pshat is the what the Hamainam thinks is because just simply practically it's if you have a, a clock that's very high up so everyone can see it. If you're in Yeshiva, you come out of Yeshiva, you'd be able to see the clock, and if you're at the post office you can see the clock, and everybody can see if it's in a very high place, so that's visible to all. He says that might be a reason, but that's not the main reason. The main reason, he says, for having an elevated clock, that the clock has to be high, is because if it was low, if it was reachable by every single Tom, Dick, and Harry that passed by the clock, you know what would happen? Everybody would go and say, oh, right now it's uh, 9.40 a.m., and the clock says it's 9.42. So they would reach up to the communal clock, and they would put it back to 9.40. And then the next guy is coming, it's 9.38, it's not 9.40. And they would put it back to 9.38. And this would go on constantly. There would be no standard time in the city because everybody's adjusting the public clock to what their personal time is, and that's a problem. He says the reason why they put the city clock up high is that people don't tamper with it. And that everybody adjusts their own time to the public clock. So we're all now on synchronized time because, because we're all looking at that same standard clock. Rav says that there's two different types of communities. There's some communities that they elevate their Rav. They make the Rav like a Nasi. They make their Rav elevated and above. And he's like that clock that everybody looks up to, everybody admires, everybody puts on a pedestal. And they're machshiv him, and whatever he says goes. What the rabbi paskins, that's the psaq. What the rabbi feels is the right thing to do, that's the right thing to do. And nobody adjusts the rabbi, but everybody adjusts their own hashkafa and their own point of view based on what the rabbi says. Because the rabbi is that public figure that no one touches. He's untouchable. He says there are some communities, though, that are the opposite. They have their rabbi, because every shul needs a rabbi, but they make the rabbi, they pull the rabbi down, and they make the rabbi adjust his own hashkafas, his own opinions, his own views, based on what they want. They are the ones that are, the tail is wagging the dog. They're the ones that want 
um, the rabbi to hold a certain way in terms of a hashkafic point, in terms of a political point, and that's what it is. That's what it is because that's what they want. I'll never forget. I was once in a in a shul when I was a bacher. It was on the on the west coast somewhere, and there was a big debate in that shul about a certain political issue. Whatever the issue was, it was it was a, a decision whether I think to make a, a a train running through the town or not. It was back and forth. It was a very hot issue at the time. And the rabbi gets up, I'll never forget this for the rest of my life, the rabbi gets up and says, on Sunday there's going to be a very big rally by City Hall, and the shul is of the opinion that we should not have that train, it's going to bring a lot of undesirables into town, whatever their cheshman was, and this is what we have to do, everybody has to go there. There was a guy that stood up in back of me, he was sitting in back of me in the pew behind me, and he started screaming at the rabbi, never in my life saw such a thing. He started screaming at the rabbi, who gives you the right to tell me what my political view should be? He says, I, don't, I want the train. I think it's a good thing to have the train. Who, who are you to tell us what we're supposed to be thinking, what we're supposed to be, be doing? Don't tell us that that's the view of the, of the shul. I have my own personal view. And he was screaming, and nobody was saying anything. I certainly wasn't saying anything. I was a visitor, and I, you know, I didn't want to get involved. Um, but, you know, it was like a normal thing. I never saw such a thing. But that's sort of what I mean. Sometimes you adjust the rabbi. You don't like what the rabbi says, so you change the rabbi. Rafunda was writing in a letter that, Baruch Hashem, you are the type of community that appointed a wonderful rabbi, and you know you have the seichel, and you have the, the emes, and the, the proper ashkafa, and you view your rabbi as that elevated clock that he's above and he's the one that you look up to that's Nisim they're Minusa they are exalted they are elevated there are people that are that are leaders and they are they are the people that everybody looks up to and they 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 look to for advice they look to for for their wisdom for the Halacha for Ashkafa they're the rabbi. They're the leaders. That's one element of an of a nasi. A nasi is supposed to be noble and exalted, aristocratic, elevated, removed a little bit. Obviously, a man of the people at the same time, but at the same time, a little bit removed. That's one element of the word nasi. But Nasi also means something else. Nasi is from a Russian of Masa, a burden. Nasa, to carry. A leader is not just merely a figure that is the figurehead of the community, he's the face of the community, he is the person that's respected and put up high. That's part, that's one side of the coin of being a Nasi. But uh, the other side of the coin is that a real Nasi is somebody that carries the tzibur on his shoulders. He is the one that the entire crushing weight of the congregation of the community rests solely on him. 
He carries them. He is, he is the one that schleps the weight of the community. All of the tsaras of the community, the burdens of the community, the fundraising of the community, all the challenges that face the people are, be, are his challenges. He's removed in a sense, he's elevated, but at the same time, he is beneath them. He's above them and he's below them at the same time. He's above them, he's that clock, but at the same time, he is riding them on his shoulders. There's a medrash in Shemais Rabbah, Bez Bez, that Hashem tested Meish Rabbeinu whether he was going to be a leader. How are your leadership skills, Meish Rabbeinu? I'm going to test you. How did he test him? By being a shepherd. That's the greatest prerequisite for leadership in Klal Yisrael. That's what the medrash says, how, how many people, the Aves and the Shvatim and Moshe, David, so many people were shepherds. It's a funny profession to choose. You, don't, you wouldn't think that you need a master's in shepherdry in order to someday be a leader in Klal Yisrael. You go for smicha, you go for a Judaic uh, uh, studies master's or something. But to be a shepherd, that's what I need to get a job in Chinuch, to get a job in Rabbanus. HaKadosh Baruch saw the leadership skills of Meishu Rabbeinu because when he was a shepherd for Yisrael, there was a sheep and the sheep ran away and Meishu Rabbeinu runs after the sheep and he sees that the sheep is drinking from a certain pool of water and Meishu Rabbeinu says, I, I didn't know that you were thirsty, I don't, you're probably very tired, I'm sorry, I, had I known I would have been more conscientious, I would have given you more to drink and Meishu Rabbeinu takes the sheep he takes the sheep and he rides the sheep on his shoulders. He carries the sheep physically, Meish Rabbeinu. And he was walking and he walked that sheep back on his shoulders to the rest of the flock. You have such mercy, such compassion with the sheep of a bus of Adam. You're going to be the shepherd of Kal Yisrael. The criteria that HaKadosh Baruch Hu establishes for being a leader of Manik Yisrael is not merely just being an elevated chashuva, a big person, but it's the ability to take a little sheep that nobody would have even noticed and make sure to carry that sheep tenderly on your shoulders. That's a nasi. A nasi is a masa. You have to be a schlepper to be a nasi. You have to take the burden of Kal Yisrael firmly upon your shoulders and carry it with sensitivity and with resolve. That's what a leader is. A leader is not afraid to get his hands dirty. A leader is not afraid to have to take up the burdens of the seaboard that he's supposed to be leading. It's not just the glory and the fame of having a public office. In America, there's an expression, if you go, if you run for politics, you're a public servant. And that's true. That's really what a leader is. As much as he is schashed to be a president, schashed to be a senator, a congressman, a mayor, a council member, but you're a public servant. You're a servant of the public. 
You're supposed to serve the public in that role. It's not just the chashivas, it's not the fact that you're a nasi, that you're exalted, but you're a schlepper. You have to be able to take the masa of the tzibur, and whatever somebody says, we have a problem, we have a, uh, you know, there's no snow removal on our block, and there's a pothole on this road, and the post office has too many lines, you, you have to go and, and roll up your sleeves and handle those problems. That's what a nasi is. It's both the elevation of a person and it's also the degradation of a person. That's what a nasi is. It's two sides of the coin. It seems like a type of disaster, but it's not. That's what a real nasi is. There's a Gemara in Harius in Nafyudam and Aleph. The Gemara says that there was a certain Tana that wanted to give certain Tamidikachamim who needed positions. They needed, they were very they they were poor, they didn't have money, they were big Tamidikachamim. So he wanted to arrange giving them public positions in government, in the in the local communal leadership. And they said, no, we're gonna take a pass, it's not not for us. Because they were doing that out of humility. They thought that, you know, they weren't worthy of being these great uh, Nassim of Pal Yisrael. And this Tana says to them, Kimidumin Atem Do you think that I'm giving you power? Do you think that's what this is all about? About giving you power, giving you influence, giving you sovereignty, allowing you to lord over people? I'm giving you servitude. This is not for your glory. This is not for your pride. This is not a position of power just in order to, in order to you, for you to feel like you're the king of the world. If you'd understand what real leadership is, he says, it's Abdus. You're a servant to the public. You're supposed to serve their every need. Moshe Rabbeinu says that he carried Klal Yisrael, Kasher Yisa, Ha'ayman Esayinik, like a nurse, like a nursing mother carries her baby. That's how Moshe Rabbeinu schlepped Klal Yisrael with all of their tainas and their tzvias and the misayinim and all the complaints that Moshe Rabbeinu had to endure that we laid in the Torah, especially in Sefer Bamidbar, all of the, all the complaining. Moshe Rabbeinu was able to do that because Moshe Rabbeinu had that training as a shepherd when he when he carried that sheep on his shoulders he continued carrying the burdens of Klai Yisrael on his shoulders that's what the Masa of Nesias really is all about if you look in the Sefer Chavetz Chaim Alatayra he brings that there was a story of a person who was being taken away to Siberia, the biggest punishment that you could have in, in Russia at the time, in Poland, in Russia, is that the government would take you and throw you into some gulag in Siberia. That's even during the, the time of the, uh, you know, later in history by the Iron Curtain. and That was like the worst. You, you, they throw you into Siberia. It was freezing cold. There was, no, there was no luxuries in Siberia. It was just work and freezing. and It was terrible conditions. 
and somebody in the town of the of, of a certain rav, um, this person was being led away to the to the gulags in Siberia for doing something a little criminal, doing something a little bit illegal. He was smuggling, or he was doing something. He did something wrong. And as they were taking him away, he said, I want to speak to the rabbi. So the rabbi was brought from his home and he addresses the rabbi in front of many, many people. And he starts screaming at the rabbi and he says to him, it's your fault that I'm being taken away to Siberia and I'm being taken away from my wife and from my children for who knows how long, maybe forever. It's because of you. And the rabbi says, me, what did I do? You're the one that did something illegal. He says, had you given proper musr, had you told us what was right and what was wrong, had you been able to explain to me how what I was doing was not dina de mafusadina, that there was problems with what I was doing, I would have listened to you. But you didn't tell me that. And now you should know it's because of you. When my wife, when my daughters come to you someday and they're crying, you should know that it's your responsibility. And the Chavetz Chaim says, Ki'ilu, like the person was not wrong. If you want to see the story, it's in Chavetz Chaim al-Atayra, Amad Kuf Chafei, 125. He says he wasn't wrong, and he says, people, if you're a rab, everyone wants to be a rab, everyone wants to be a rabbi, but it's not so glorious always, because there could be a lot of kindness on you. It's nice to be, you know, to have people call you rabbi. It's nice to get to sit on the dais. Not nice to get to sit on the Mizrach wall. But if you're not giving proper hadrach and musr to people, and if you're not carrying their burden, then you're going to be held accountable not only in this world, but in the next world also. And so he says you have to be very careful if you're going into, you want to be a Nasi, that's great, but don't do it for the fame. Because if you're not willing to take the weight of the people upon your shoulders, then you're going to be held responsible for them. It's responsibility. That's what Nasius is. It's Achrayas. You know, the word Achrayas is a word that's thrown around a lot. I, you know, you have to have Achrayas for people, you have to take Achrayas for something. What does Achrayas mean? Achrayas means Acharai. I am going to do it first. And you're going to follow me. I'm the leader. The leader is the person, by definition, who leads. He's the one that is going to be the one that goes into the fire first. Not last. Achrayas means I'm the one responsible. Acharai. You come after me. When Moshe Rabbeinu was asking HaKadosh Baruch Hu for a replacement, he gave HaKadosh Baruch Hu a job description of what the next leader of Klai Yisrael to replace him should look like. And one of the things that he says is, Asher Yelech Lefneim. Asher Yetzei Lefneim. It's a pasuk in Parshas, Pinchas Chavzayin Yudzayin. Asher Yelech Lefneim. The leader is going to go in front of them. Not behind them, in front of them. And Rashi says there that not like the Malchai Umay Sa'ilam, Gayesha kings, generals, you know, they fight a war. They fight a war from a war room. They go into a bunker together with their generals. They plot, they have all the maps. 
and they have all the strategies, they have all their top generals, and they think and they and then they send those battle plans to the to the to the privates on the field and to the the lieutenants, whoever is actually the warriors, you go into battle, we're going to stay behind the enemy lines. We're going to be behind, you know, in a safe place. That's how Gaiusha kings and leaders are naive. However, Kalal Yisrael is different, says Maishu Rabbeinu to Rabbeinu He says that we go first into battle. Maishu Rabbeinu by Sichan and Aig, Maishu Rabbeinu is the first one to go into the into enemy lines. The first one, not the last one. And Yeshua did the same thing. That's why Yeshua was going to be the great leader of Kalal Yisrael. He also went before them. Rashi brings a riot from Sukkim. The chain bid David, David also went. Yaitse Baraish, the Nichnas Baraish. He goes out first, he enters first. That's what a leader is. That's how Klai Yisrael defines leadership. President Obama recently, not recently, maybe a couple of years ago, when he was speaking about how his, his Hashkafa of how to, how to lead, how to, deal with the geopolitical realities of the world. He didn't want to make the same mistakes as his predecessors and get bogged down in a war. He says, we're going to have other countries do it for us, and we're going to lead from behind. That was his lashon. And everybody, that was a very, very bad, bad piskum to say. Because everybody made fun of him. That's not leadership. Leading from behind... You lead from behind. What he meant to say was that, you know, we're going to be safe, going to allow other people to fight the battles, and we'll be leaders, but we're going to lead not by example, but by from behind. And that's a Gaish, that's like Rashi says, that's the Umayyad that's the attitude of, of Umayyad that's leadership when, from the Gaish's perspective. You lead from behind, you don't lead necessarily from up front, that's dangerous. So you want to be safe, you want to be a leader, you want, in other words, what you want to do is you want to have the nisios of the, 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 the fact that you're uplifted, you want the covet of being the world power, superpower, but at the same time you want to be safe, you don't want to schlep anything, that's not leadership. Leadership means you've got to get yourself dirty, you've got to roll up your sleeves, you've got to be in the mud in order to be a real leader. Asher Yetzeh Lefneim, Yisrael, goes after their leaders. The leaders actually lead. They take Klai Yisrael on their shoulders and they lead them into battle. They do everything first. That's a Yiddish leader. They have the masa. They have the weight of Klai Yisrael on them and they understand that and they accept that upon themselves and they're willing to die for that. It's uncomfortable. It's scary. But that's what leadership is all about. To be able to go and do for Klal Yisrael, regardless of the cost. To be able to take the massa of Klal Yisrael upon yourself. This was the mistake of the Nesim. The Nesim saw themselves as the first type of definition of Nasi. They were uplifted, they were going to see him, they were the princes of Kali Yisrael. Everybody was like, wow, you're a Nasi, that's Chashur. Thank you. 
And they also were very, very generous. Call Yisrael, you give whatever, you little people, you give whatever you want. Give whatever, give your little trinkets to, to the Bezagabayas. And once you're done, you finish whatever you're doing, and then we're going to step in and we're going to finish the job. We're going to give whatever is missing. We're going to come behind you after you give the first tranche of generous donations. We're going to come up and follow you and make sure to give whatever is necessary. And that's very generous. If you're a regular person in the community, you're a very wealthy individual, and you want to make sure that the donations and the campaign succeeds, that's wonderful. But if you're a Nussi, that just doesn't work. That's not the way a Nussi deals. A Nussi is the first person, a Nussi by definition takes up the burden of whatever is necessary to be done, and they do it first. And after they begin, then they put Klayasel on their shoulder and they carry the entire burden, but they lay the foundation. They are the ones that do the first act of giving. They are the ones at the front of the line, not at the back of the line. Generosity is not leadership. Leadership means that I am the one that goes and does first. I'm the Rosh Farisha and the Chaldavar Shabbatusha. Whatever needs to be done, here I am. I'm going to come and do it. You want to come and help me? Help me. Come follow me and I will lead and you will follow. But that is what true Nisias is. They didn't see that. The Nisim. They just saw the glory part of it. They saw the fact that we're uplifted, we're exalted, we're famous, and we're going to give after you. But that's not what a Nasi is. They miss the other side of the coin of Nasius. The fact that they have to be the ones that are carrying the oil of the Tzibur. They're the ones that are first supposed to be doing things. Initiators, leaders. And I believe that that's why the Torah spells the word Vanisim in our parasha Chaser Yud. Because it's spelled Vahanisa'am. What you were supposed to do, you didn't do. You were supposed to have the Nasa, the carrying of Kal Yisrael, the being there before anyone is there and starting, initiating the process. Not just to be a Nasi, to be elevated, but to have the Masa of the Am on you. To have the full weight, the full gravity of the nation riding on you. And you're the one to be the first ones doing things. Not the last ones doing things. We didn't need generosity. Baruch Hashem HaKadosh Baruch Hu has plenty of silver and gold. He didn't need people. He wanted to show Klai Yisrael how to give. And he was looking to you to be the role models. It wasn't a din in generosity and making sure the campaign was successful. It was starting the ball rolling and showing how to lead. You should have accepted the masa, but you missed the point. And guess what was left for them to give? Hashtacha would have it that there was something that was remaining. After all the work was done, they were the ones that were destined to bring the Avne Shayam and the Avne Milulim. You know why? That was also a Muslim Shmuz to them. What does the Pasuk say in Parashas Titzavah? 
about these stones. It says, "Vinasa Aaron Eshemaisam Al Shtei Kesefas Kesefas Lizikarin." Those Avnei Shayim had the names of the Shvatim of Klal Yisrael on them, and the pasuk says, "Vinasa." Aaron is supposed to carry all of the burden, the 12 Shvatim on his shoulders, Lizikarin, as a remembrance of all, for all time when he's walking, doing his Avaida Bakaydesh, Lufnai Vlufnim, whatever he's doing, when he's wearing those, he's not wearing those Lufnai Vlufnim actually, but when, whatever the kind Gadol is doing his Avaida on the Mikdash, he is the one that's carrying on his shoulders the weight of Kal Yisrael, all the Shittekar on his shoulders. Figuratively and literally. The Nasa, it says, Aaron was the perfect leader. He understood that you have to carry the burdens of Kal Yisrael on your shoulders. By the Avne Miluim also, it says over there, the Nasa Aaron is Mishpat Bnei Yisrael Alibai, with Hashem Tamit. Carry the names of the Shiftei on your heart, on your shoulder, on your heart. You're supposed to worry about your people. You're the leader. You schlep them. That's what a Nasi is. A Nasi, a real prince, is somebody that's not just there for the glory, but also there for the for the burden. That's what it takes to be a Nasi. And so HaKadosh Baruch Hu was Kilu telling these Nasiim, you blew it. You should have understood that a Nasi means to do things first, to take the burden, start it going. Show people how to do it. Show people how much it means to you. And they'll follow. But you missed the boat. So you have to bring the Avni Shayim, the Avni Miluim, because that will hopefully get you the message loud and clear that you have to be a little bit more like Aaron Akai. You have to carry the weight of Klal Yisrael on your shoulder, on your heart, if you want to really be a leader. And they got the message, the Nesim. And when it came to the Chanukah Samizbeach, they were the first ones to dedicate whatever was necessary to be brought on the on the Mizbeach. In fact, Parshas Nasa is one of the longest parshas in the Torah. And you know why it's the longest parsha? Because that's the parsha that we lane what the Nesim contributed. Bayim Harishayim Karban Nashim and Aminadav Lamata Yehuda the Karbanai, Paras Kasavach that whole parasha repeating again and again and again. And that is, so the Chavitz Chaim says like this. Thank you. A whole thing, and then repeats. A whole other parish. This is what we laid on Hanukkah. Why is it with the Torah so Marech? So the Chavetz Chaim says, you know why the Torah is so Marech? Because it's telling us this Yisai. Chavetz Chaim is saying that there was a missing a Yud by Vanesim. It was missing a letter. They got the point in the CM that they should have been more responsible. They should have been the ones to initiate, not to follow. And that's why by the parish on the CM, you see the extent of their chuba. We have 
thousands and thousands and thousands of quote-unquote extra letters in the Torah because they got the point loud and clear. And that's why they were ultimately great leaders of Kal Yisrael because they understood the importance of leading. The truth of the matter is that there's one leader of Kal Yisrael that, and that's Nachshem and Aminadov. He actually knew what it means to lead. He was the one that jumped in first into the Yamsuf to make it split. But for some reason, when it came to this dedication of, of resources to the Mishkan, it seems that he was remiss. <coughs> but then everybody did Shuva and they came and they brought by the Chanukah his back first and generously. Not following, not waiting until we see what else other people bring, but being the first, that's what leadership is. It's the masa. It's a weight. It's a burden. But that's what it means to be a nasi. I saw a maisa that, you know, we know how people used to travel far and wide to get a bracha from the Chavetz Chaim. Chavetz Chaim was known that his brachas would help so it's interesting that the Chavetz Chaim himself went to somebody for a bracha. You know, who would the Chavetz Chaim go to for a bracha? Reminds me of a, of a joke. You know, there was a person that went into a into a, a pet store. He wanted to buy a, a parrot. So he goes into a pet store, and the and the store owner shows him three beautiful parrots. So he says, okay, they look good. How much is the first one? So the first one is $500. $500? I thought parrot's like 20 bucks. So $500 for a parrot? So he says, yeah, it's probably a special parrot. So what's so special about this parrot? He says, this parrot is not an ordinary parrot. This parrot knows Tanakh Balpet. If you ask it any pasuk, and it will it will start saying the pasuk right away. It knows mamish tanach It's a brilliant parrot. Knows tanach Five hundred bucks. It's interesting. Now, what, what about the second parrot? Oh, that parrot's a thousand dollars. A thousand dollars for a parrot. Well, what does he know? Him shas He knows guns shas Back when you can ask any masefta in shas, he'll rattle off the whole daf to you. Whatever you want, he knows it. It's amazing. But what about the third parent? That third, ten thousand dollars. Thousand dollars. What does what does he know? He says we don't know what he knows, but the other two parrots call him Rebbe. <laughs> so, imagine if the Chavetz Chaim, the Chavetz Chaim is is going to somebody else for a bracha, you can imagine how great that Rav was. So who is the Rav that the Chavetz Chaim looked, for, looked to for a bracha to get Kedem? So there was a Yid at Sabbath in the city of Aishashach. His name was Rav Yosef Zundel Hutner. Rav Yosef Zundel Hutner from Aishashach. Aishashach was a very chash of a city in Europe. And the Chavetz Chaim wanted a bracha from him. So you can imagine how great this, this Yid was. So there was a Baladala that used to go from town to town. The Chavetz Chaim understood that he was traveling near the city of Aishashach. 
So he says, do me a favor, I want you to go to the to Rabbi Yosef Zundel and get me a bracha from him. So the Balagala said, okay, fine, no problem, I'm heading that way. Anyway, I'll go to Aishak, I'll get a bracha from, from, from him for the Rebbe. So he goes and he enters into Rabbi Yosef Zundel's house and he says, the Chavetz Chaim wanted me, sent me special to you to get a bracha for him. So Rabbi Zundel thought for a second and he says, tell the Chavetz Chaim that he should walk barefoot and schlep stones. Should walk barefoot and schlep stones. So the this Baladola, this wagon driver, the simple person, and he heard it the way probably we all are. That's like an insult. That's like a curse. That's not a blessing. To walk around barefoot, who wants to walk around barefoot? And to schlep stones like a like a like a stone schlepper, like that's what that's the best bracha that you could muster for the Chavetz Chaim. Oh, try again. Give me another one. You know? He says, no, that's the bracha. Just tell the Chavetz Chaim they should walk around barefoot and schlep stones. So he was afraid to go to the Chavetz Chaim with this bracha. So he was like avoiding the Chavetz Chaim like the plague. Whenever Chavetz Chaim would walk down the block and this Balagola would see him, he would like go all the way around town just because he was afraid to have to tell the Chavetz Chaim this plolo that Rabbi Yezuzundel gave him. One day, Chavetz Chaim saw him and starts calling him over. Rabid, come here. So I've been waiting for you. I, I was waiting. I sent you to get a bracha for me from Rabbi Yosef Zundo, and I've been waiting and waiting. Where have you been? So he says, well, you know, I'm a little uncomfortable repeating what Rabbi Yosef Zundo said because it's not so nice and I, I didn't want to hurt the Chavetz Chaim's feelings. I, I didn't want to get the Chavetz Chaim upset. He said, just tell me what he said. So he says, I'd rather not. It's not nice. So just tell me. So he says, okay. He says that the Chavetz Chaim should walk around barefoot and schlep stones. So the Chavetz Chaim started beaming with pleasure, with delight. And the Balagala was like bracing for like, you know, the worst. And all of a sudden he says the opposite. He says, the Mechilas isn't aren't you upset? Isn't it like insulting? You walk around barefoot and shluck stones? He says, you don't understand what Rabbi Yisrael meant. Rabbi Yisrael was giving me a bracha that I should be zeicher to be alive when the Sheikh comes and that I should be zeicher to be a Kayin, the Chavetzayim was a Kayin, I should be Kayin that does his Avaid in the Beis HaMikdash. Mekayin did his Avaid without shoes, he walked around barefoot. He says, that I hope will be Mekayin, but I don't think that the other bracha will be Mekayin. So the Allah says, what, what other bracha? He says, that I should slap stones. He says, he's saying that I should be the Kayin Gadol. And I should schlep the stones, the Avnei Eifai, the Avnei, the Avnei Miluim. And I should be Zaycha to be the Kayin God when Mashiach comes. He says, I don't know if I'll be Zaycha to that, but I hope to be Zaycha to walk around barefoot. Chavetz Chaim was Zaycha to Akim of both those brachas. 
Chavetz Chaim, if we know anything about the history of what the Chavetz Chaim was to Klai Yisrael, he was much more than just a huge Tamad Chacham and an Adam Gadol. Chavetz Chaim was the Nasa Eshemais B'nei Yisrael Aksef of Uzikarim. Chavetz Chaim was the leader par excellence of Klai Yisrael. He undertook to schlep Klai Yisrael on his shoulders. He didn't just see himself in the role of being a Paisik, which he was, a Rav, which he was. He was the Manig of Klai Yisrael. If you see the public open letters that he wrote, he wrote like a father giving Hadracha to his son, but he was giving Hadracha to Klai Yisrael. He understood his role in Klai Yisrael was not to be a follower, not to be manipulated by people, but to do the right thing and to lead Klal Yisrael in whatever they needed to, to be led. To give them Musr when Musr was necessary. To give them Hadracha when Hadracha was necessary. Look at the Svarim that he wrote. He spent his life. The Mishnabura took him over 20 years. In fact, when the Mishnabura was finished, his son helped him out writing a lot of the Mishnabura. They worked on a lot of the Simanim together. And when they were about to be Messiah, the, the entire Sefer Mishnabura is magnum opus. It took over, tw- imagine writing a Sefer over 20 years. Full time writing a Sefer. He had an attic in his house. He would hold himself up in that attic and he didn't have, you know, all the modern amenities that we have and, you know, computers to type, whatever, and, 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 and uh, you know, write some Mepharshaya Talmuds and, and uh, you know, HebrewBooks.org. He had to find the Svarim, all the sources that he brings down. He had to borrow the Svarim, go to different places to see those Svarim inside. It was a, it was a mind-boggling endeavor. The writing of the Mishnabura. We just open up Mishnabura and we think, you know, we're, we're big, big tzaddikim. We have no idea how much work and toil went into writing that. Mechavetz Chaim's son said, Tati, when they were about to finish, says, is anyone going to ever chap what we did here? Is anyone going to realize the amount of toil, how we were coughing up blood writing the Mishnabura? Is anyone going to ever understand what we did? They're going to use it maybe, maybe it'll be popular, maybe it won't be popular. Will anyone know the amount of toil that we put in? He says, I didn't do it for that. I wasn't looking for glory. I'm not looking to have a bestseller to write a classic. I'm not looking for that type of nasius. I understand that Klal Yisrael and the Rabbi Yisrael need this. This is what we need right now. The Dar needs a safer, a place like Akron to be able to codify exactly what Ta'alachal Amaisa is in our Achayim. And I went and we did it. I did it, Laman Hashem. I did it for Klal Yisrael. That's why I did it, to undertake the Tircha for Klal Yisrael. The Shmir is Haloshin. How much work went into the Chavetz Chaim's writing, not just writing, preaching, going from town to town and talking about the Gaidel Yisrael of Lashon Hara because he understood that it was a weakness that Kal Yisrael had and he had to come and fill in that breach. When he saw that there were Yidin in the army, in the Russian army, and they weren't properly able to keep halachas, they didn't know what to do under certain circumstances, he wrote a country for them. 
when he saw that Shmir Shabbos was Shvach, he wrote a contrast for Shmir Shabbos. When he saw that people weren't giving enough tzedakah, doing enough chesed, he wrote Abbas Chesed to be able to teach people exactly what you need to do and how to start in mass and what to do for Klal Yisrael. These are things that the Chavitz Chaim was able to accomplish on behalf of Klal Yisrael because he was the Nasi. He not only walked barefoot, but he swept the stones. He was the Kayin Gadol of Klal Yisrael. And he understood that Nasiya means the Nasa, to carry the burdens. That's what the Chavitz Chaim represented. And that's what the Chavitz Chaim was. All of us are going to be eventually leaving yeshiva in one form or another and going out to the world at large. And besides for your parnasa, which is very important, there's another element that's going to be called upon you to accomplish. And that is that there's always leadership positions that need to be filled in Klal Yisrael. Sometimes rabbinic leadership, sometimes lay leadership. And both are vitally important. And when you have an opportunity, you should not shirk the opportunity. Don't be nisatzel. Don't say, I'll wait till other people start it and I'll get the, and once the ball is rolling, then I'll do it. If there's a campaign to do something, let's see how it develops. And if it's sort of successful, then I'll jump on the train. I'll jump on the bandwagon. Klal Yisrael needs real Nesim, real leaders. But that involves not just, I want to have my name you know, on the board, as a board member, I want the COVID. That's sometimes a motivator, and that's not a terrible thing sometimes. But that's not what it takes to really be a leader. Leadership requires taking the burdens of, of Klal Yisrael upon yourself. I'll give you an example. And we'll end with that. You know, my father's Echitzadik Lebracha was a, uh, a prominent uh, member of the lay leadership of, uh, of the community in Long Beach and, and, and beyond. He was the president of Hebrew Academy of Long Beach during a very trying time in its history when it was on the verge of financial collapse and he came and he took upon himself the oil of leading it and he brought it into financial independence and, and, and stability and now you know Halb is Halb and DRS and SKA and it's a big malucha but at the time it was very very fragile and there was a need also, additionally, in the city of Long Beach for a mikvah. And they tried a few times to build a mikvah and it didn't go. People tried, it, it just never was successful. My father said, you know what, I'm going to be the Nasi. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take the burden of building the mikvah on my own shoulders. And he single-handedly raised all the money... And then besides for raising the money, he hired the architects and the, the experts that knew exactly all the hilchas, halachas and mikvahs to come and to survey the land and to put all the bayers properly and the pipes and all, everything was perfect. 
And then on top of that, after the mikvah was all built and it was up and running, he didn't stop there. He went in every single morning after davening. He davened the shul, then he walked over to the mikvah, he drove over to the mikvah, and he would take the towels of the, from the men's side, the men that used the mikvah the day before, the women that used the mikvah the night before. He would take them, my father was a nasi, my father was a very aristocratic person, I don't know if anyone in the room uh, remembers him. He used to come here very often on Friday for the shmuz. Um, but at home, I would never, ever, ever see him touching, going anywhere near the laundry, near the, near the washing machine, near the dryer. But for the mikvah, he would take the dirty towels, pick them up himself, put them in the washing machine, put uh, uh, detergent in, and, and start the machine, take the other load, put it in the dryer, and, and fold them. That's what a Nasi does. A Nasi is somebody who is able to lead and is not afraid of doing the heavy lifting. It's hard, it's difficult, it's so much easier. Let somebody else do it. Somebody's going to do it. It's going to get done. Somebody's going to eventually clean the towels or hire somebody, will do something. But to actually go and do something yourself, physically, financially, you have to sometimes be able to lead. There are so many opportunities already before you leave yeshiva. In yeshiva itself, so many things that you could do. Every morning, the water urn for the coffee room. It's full. It's full for a day of people using that urn to drink coffee, to be able to, to wake up a little bit and to be able to daven properly, learn properly. Who does that? Who does that? Once in a while, you know, you walk in and you catch the malach who's doing it. Um, he thought he was able to get away with it and do it without anyone knowing about it. But sometimes you catch who it was. Somebody makes the cholans for, for the mishmar. It's, it's, it's a thankless job. It's quite a tircha. You have to go and, and schlep from the, from the supermarket and then cut up the things and, and put it on the water and the, the bags and clean it. It's, it's responsibility. I don't want that. I want the glory job. I, I like, you know, I like the job that I'm able to just do nothing but get credit. But that's not what a nasi is. That's part of it. But a nasi also has to know that you have to be able to roll up your sleeves and undertake responsibility to do things, even if there's no glory, and even if it's a messy job, and even if it involves putting your neck out there. You have to do that for Kal Yisrael. That's what's necessary. If it's to be a Gabbai, if it's to be somebody that cleans up the Svarim on Arab Shabbos and throughout the week, somebody that takes Arab Shabbos all the styrofoam cups and the pens and the, and the calculators and the rulers off the table so that it's nice on Shabbos Kaddish we can enjoy a Kedusha Shabbos. It's kind of easy. It's much easier to sit and learn. It's much easier to play Ultimate Frisbee and let other people do that. But if you want to be a Nasi, that's what it takes. The Nasiim understood eventually that the Masa is the main part of the Nasiis. It's to be a public servant. 
one of the most beautiful matzevas that I ever saw in my life. I didn't see it with my own eyes, but I saw a picture of it once. Was the matzeva of Kivager? Rabbi Kivager, you would think, would have a matzeva, like a huge mausoleum matzeva, you know, with like speaking about his godless and learning and his tzitkos and his chesed and his, his anova. He had a one-line matzeva. After saying, Pai Nitman, Rabbi Kiva Eger, Rabbi Kiva Gans, whichever way, I, I don't remember exactly what, what the... Sometimes his real name was Gans. He named himself Eger after an uncle of his. One beautiful line. Eved la'avdei Hashem. All he wanted in his matzeva was, I am a servant to the servants of Hashem. That's how he saw himself. He didn't see himself as the Gain Adar, as the Paisik Adar, as the Gadol Adar, as the Lamdan Adar, as the Tzadik Adar. He saw himself as a measly servant, like a Shamish to the Avdei Hashem. I'm here to serve Klal Yisrael. That's what I'm here for. That's that was the Nesias of Rebbe Eger. That's what made him great. The godless of Rebbe Eger, why he was Zeichet to having his Taira be so famous. The Stipler once said, "Why was Rebbe Eger Zeichet to such fame? Obviously, his Taira was brilliant. But you know something? If you go to a library, there are thousands and thousands of Svarim that you've never heard of. I don't know if they're as brilliant as Rebbe Eger, but they are brilliant. There's no shortage of brilliance in the." In the population of Klal Yisrael and the authors of Svarim of Klal Yisrael, Kivega was Zaycha to be kind of shame His Svarim are the gold standard of all Tyre, of all Lamdas. Why? Why was he Zaycha and not somebody else? And the stifle used to say it's because of his Anava. He had such humility. He was Venasa. He carried the weight of Klai Yisrael on his shoulders and on his heart. That's what made him the leader. That's what made his Tyre B'Zeichah to be the greatest Tyre out there. And that's true in lay life as well. If you want to be special, if you want to be great, you're able to exercise greatness through the ability to accept upon yourself and upon your shoulders the burden of the people. Might not be pretty, might not be something that anyone else wants, but those are the jobs that you should take because that shows how you are really a Nasi. I always say that in Kelim, you know, here we bid on Simchas Taira, for those of you that were Zaycha Debir ever on Simchas Taira, Ata Reisa, you know, 3,000 blot, 5,000 blot, Ni'ila, you know, $10,000. In Kelim, they used to also bid. But the highest bids were not for Ni'ila and Atta They were not for Maftir Yaina. They were not for Maftir Chana. You know what the highest bid was in Kelim? Who gets to clean out the bathroom? Who gets to clean, you'll excuse me, the toilets in the, in the, in the outhouse in Kelim? Who gets that job? That was considered to be the most the job that you could get. Who gets to sponge the floor? Who gets to do the sponger? Who gets to who gets to uh, you know to, to make the cholent? Those are the chashavah jobs because the more demeaning, the more that you have to actually get your hands dirty and lift klal yisrael where no one else wants to. That is the mark of aristocracy to a yid. 
That's Asher Yetzi Lefneim. You're going out in front of them. You're doing what's needed to be done as a leader. You're paving the way so that Klai Yisrael can do. The people that are able to shovel the walk so that people can get into shul or into a base medrash. That's a chash of a job. That's the most chash of a job there is. That's leadership. Leadership is not running for president and being able to have a limo in the Oval Office. Leadership is, what can I do for Klai Yisrael? How can I best serve the people? How can I be an Eved La'avne Hashem? That's what leadership is. And we could all be leaders, and we will be leaders. We must be leaders, because that's what Klai Yisrael needs. They need people to do. Not to give lip service, and not to preach, and not to point to others to do, not to delegate but to do themselves. And the more that we're able to do, the more we're able ourselves to be deserving of this greatest title of being a Nasi Yisrael. Have a good chance.